Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to the BJJ Brick Podcast, episode 52. We've been on the air for a year. Today we have Rafael Elvanger with us for an interview. Gary, full year. One year. I never uh, thought we'd be going this strong here. Yep. All of our uh, experience and professionalism. Today we're doing the uh, sound check, and I neglect to plug Gary's mic in. And he, I go, okay, Gary, talking to your mic. Let me hear his talk. And he goes, he, he kind of says something, and I could, he, I pick it up on my mic and not his. And I go, man, that's quiet. And I crank his mic up, and then he's over there whispering into the mic. <laughs> And it's not even plugged in. So one year down, and I'm still making. And we're still trying to figure this out. Making white belt mistakes, yeah. pretty good. Yeah, but hey, <laughs> we but did get it plugged in. We did, and so. that's how we, that's how we learned. We we're about making mistakes. Yep, yeah, we're ready to roll today. Uh, action-packed episode. Lots of good coaching advice from our uh, friend Rafael Elvanger. We do have some news for you guys. Um, Bernardo Faria, who was on a couple episodes back, his uh, Deep Half DVD came out. It's called uh, The Faria Guard. Uh, deep half guard like you've never seen before. It's sixty nine ninety five. It's two DVDs. I ordered it. I think three days ago. Um, it's got tons of stuff. Uh, how to? It looks like the first DVD is going to focus on how to get to the to the deep half, and it even has some like uh, some beginner deep half stuff. And then the second uh, DVD has a lot of it's it's sweeps, tons of sweeps. So and he does have some escapes from bad positions, which is always good too. So. so if you want to get your sweep on, get better at your deep half, uh, definitely order this uh, DVD. Yep. And I, like I said, it's on the way to my house, so uh, I'll be happy to, to train with any of my training partners with it or uh, or just mention you know my thoughts on it once I actually get it and see it. But I'm excited to get it. And we'll put a link to the website uh, so you know, uh, know where you can order it from. Cool. Yeah, I'll do that. But you could get it the easy way. Uh, it's on buddhavideos.com. It's also on Digjitsu, D-I-G-I-T-S-U dot com. Just type in Bernardo Faria and it'll pop right up. So that's that's cool. Um, Gary, full year, like we're saying. That's a lot of stuff that's out there. We put out an episode every Monday, and so we up to 52. That that itself has surprised me that we've managed to land one, I think, every Monday. Every Monday. Not just every week, but I've managed to get it out every Monday. And actually, we, I can't take any credit for that because Byron's the one who well, does it all. Well, but, but all the time, Gary's over here on a Sunday, you know, afternoon or night or, you know, Saturday, you know, we're getting it done. Like Byron, it, you do all the work. I do the editing, but it does, it, it's a team. Yeah. I'm like Forrest Whitaker in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I just show up. So it'd be kind of neat. Uh, we've got 50, actually 53 different things out there, but 52 episodes. Um, let's kind of run through them. Just if you're new to the podcast, it's you know it's definitely worth your time to go through and look look at the list. Obviously, not you're not going to be able to list them all in a day, but if you know one or two of the titles pique your interest, uh, go out there and check them out. It's a lot of good information. First episode we did, I remember it uh, was at Gary's house training leg lock safely, and then we have uh, our buddy Matt Lowe on that one too. I think we may have. Yeah, he was on one of the earlier ones. He so, was on a couple of them, I think. And episode two was a is a is a great one. Bringing a friend to class, it really helps kind of promote the sport. Episode three, BJJ and self defense with our buddy John Castillo. Episode four, Andre Tim Montero. 
that's somebody I train with on a regular basis. Episode five, Jason Bercher. He's a good friend of ours. Episode six, our buddy Jake Fox. And that was soon after he got his black belt. Episode seven, the 12th commandments of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu from Carl Gracie. And uh, we kind of go through the list. And I, I, get, I nobody really got it on to me that bad, but we didn't just agree with every one of the commandments. Episode eight, uh, to gi or not to gi, you know, the different training aspects of the two different. I think Matt Lowe is in that one. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Of course, our very famous episode nine, interview with a paramedic. What to do when someone gets hurt? Yeah, we interviewed Craig Kennedy, and he'll tell you episode nine is the best one. Yep. Every time I see Craig, he reminds me that episode nine is the, is the one to listen to. So, to hear. And that, yeah, I can't disagree. What do you go, Craig? <laughs> <laughs> uh, number 10, dealing with injuries. So, we also have him on there for that one. And then you also have him on the short bonus episode. Uh, what happened to Anderson Silva's legs when uh, he actually had his uh, leg broke from a check there? Yeah. Uh, Episode 11, underdogs and what we can learn from them. Episode 12, the different types of white belts. Episode 13, uh, I got to interview Dallas Niles of Lovato uh, BJJ. Uh, he came up for a seminar, and I got to interview him afterwards. Episode 14, uh, Hanata Tavares uh, interview. Episode 15, the upside, or the business side of BJJ. Episode 16 was a great episode there with uh, uh, Brian Freeman uh, training BJJ with a T4 spinal cord injury. Yep, and I do, I'm do. i keeping up with Brian. He's doing good. He yep. got his blue belt. He's competing, it seems like, all the time. Yeah. So, Episode 17, one of our uh, regular guests, uh, Brian's uh, a coach. Uh, we had an interview with uh, Brazilian uh, Jiu-Jitsu black belt Roy Marsh uh, out of Team Rock. Episode 18, uh, Meta Morris. We had a little trying to interview people for metamorphs three so uh we had a great interview with mac or zach maxwell uh episode 33 zach maxwell's opponent we interviewed episode, Sean nine, episode 19 episode 19 i'm sorry and then episode 20 uh we had uh growth first goals yep that was just us talking so there's been a obviously a mix of when we have guests on and when we just talk with ourselves and i think that that's fun to have both of them episode 21 the importance of escapes and how to get better that's just us Talking about escapes. Episode 22, the basic positions and what to do. Episode 23, our buddy John Connors. Uh, we have an interview with him. 24, different types of BJJ matches. We kind of uh, break down um, basic formats of matches and how you might find yourself in one and what to do. Uh, episode 25, our friend Amber Oxford was on talking about the girls and geese. Uh, episode 26, we have our friend Tom Makowitz from Fuji uh, Gi from fujisports.com he uh, helps with this with the gi guide if you're new to jiu-jitsu and you're looking for a gi that's a great one to go back and listen to buddy ellen hopkins for episode uh, 27 if you're looking for some supplement information episode 28 is a good one to go to uh, buddy Dwayne clifford was there helping us with that uh, episode 29 stefan whittier uh, he's with uh, 40 plus BJJ. We talk about lots of stuff, but but a decent amount of us about, you know, if you're over 40, but a lot of it is just good information either way. Episode 30 was very fun. We had Ryan Hall on here. We interviewed him about, obviously, jiu-jitsu, his MMA career, and even his uh, little self-defense situation he got himself into. Episode 31, uh, we had our first New York Times bestselling author. Um, we had a, a podcast called Developing talent and we uh, interviewed daniel coyle 
episode 32, uh, we interviewed uh, Alliance Black Belt, uh, John Thomas, uh, had a great interview there. Uh, episode 33, uh, Breaking Things Down with Ostap. I know you've probably seen him, his videos on YouTube, Breaking Stuff Down, and uh, we were fortunate enough to have him on there. Episode 34, uh, Making Changes to Your BJJ Game, uh, that's Byron and I talking. Episode 35 and 36 uh, were very fun episodes. Uh, those, both 35 and 36, we had our listeners call in and we interviewed them about injuries they've had on the mat. So uh, two episodes right there uh, with our listeners, and, and that was a great time. Yep, and if you're injured, go back and look and see what kind of you line up with and go listen to that. And uh, yep. we've time-stamped them to where if you, you know, a knee injury at, at – 45 minutes, and then just skip to that and listen yeah. to the story about the knee injury. Yep, and they'll tell you uh, how they went through uh, rehab and how long they were off the mat and when they came back. Episode 37, we have uh, great advice from uh, the legend, Carlos Machado. Episode 38, uh, we have Chewy, uh, Nick Alban. Uh, basically, uh, he may not be a Jedi, but he is Chewy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the title. That was Byron's made-up title. I thought it was pretty good. Episode 39, uh, three steps to making changes to, to your Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Episode 40 uh, was another great interview. Uh, uh, we interviewed uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt Will Horniff, and a uh, great guy and also uh, uh, actor. He was in uh, uh, the movie Sandlot. Yep, total classic there. Episode 41, our buddy Felipe Costa uh, gave us an interview. He talks about his story and, and, and what it was like, his struggles that he had to go through. Episode 42, Shamir Chantry uh, gave us an interview. Episode uh, 43, Ken Permola. It's titled Ken Permola Crosses the Line. And if you haven't listened to that one, you have to listen to that to figure out what we're talking about there. Episode 44, Developing a Culture of Learning and Leadership at Your Jiu-Jitsu Gym. Episode 45. We're getting there. This is a long list, but it's, uh, it's been a whole there. year. Yeah. Episode, uh, Episode 45, 45 is the three most... Uh, the three important analogies to better understand Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Episode 46, we have our buddy on again, uh, Roy Marsh. Uh, may change the way you think of other martial arts. And uh, it's a really neat podcast there where we talk about uh, other uh, the other arts. 47 is uh, is uh, learn the ABC of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with Brian Marvin. Um, I've rolled with Brian a lot, and he's taught me a ton. Thank you, Brian. Yep. Episode 48. Yuri Samoez, who if um, you didn't get a chance to watch him last week or so in the Nogi Worlds, he won his weight class, and then he turned around and also won the Absolute. So he had an amazing, flawless performances at the Nogi Worlds, so, and it, he had some beautiful displays. Just who, uh, episode 49, Giving 100% with Bernardo Faria. That's the DVD we were just talking about. Um, if you're thinking about buying it, go back listen to the episode, and, uh, and it'll help you make a decision one way or the other. Episode 50, Rising BJJ Star with Matthias Dentz. And then last week's episode, S- Simple and Very Effective Training with Matt Thornton. And, of course, episode 52, Make It an Even Year. Here we are today. Yep. And if you think about it, too, wait till like four more years down the road. If, we, if we're fortunate enough to keep going, we're going to have a whole podcast of us talking about the <laughs> 210 episodes. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll hopefully do a little bit uh, something a little smarter next time. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll just do the year in review. I don't know. That would be that would be quite the list of uh, stuff to talk about. So we better get on with our uh, quote of the week here. We had, like we promised before, Matt Thornton gave us the quote of the week. So 
Um, if you're one of the friends from a new person from last episode and you heard to hear Matt Thornton's quote, here we go. In terms of martial arts, you know, one of the things that I've been, one of the quotes I used this year on my seminar tour, um, what I encourage coaches to do with their curriculum, what I encourage athletes to do with their game is to apply um, what, what is sometimes a quote from Einstein, sometimes called Einstein's razor, but as simple as possible, but no simpler. So when Einstein was coming up with a formula, you know, he'd say, I want, I want this to be as simple as possible, but most simpler. And to me, that, that you know, strikes, you know, is immediately correct. Yeah. We need it to be as simple as we can possibly make it, but no simpler than that. And, as long, and that's a line you have to walk, find the fine line in terms of movement, in terms of what needs to be learned and what, what is in, uh, essential. But the fighters who find that line in their game and the coaches who find that line in their curriculum uh, are always better. And so that's that's one quote that I've been trying to encourage people to pay attention to this year. That's cool. And if you think about Einstein, the uh, E equals MC squared, that's like mm-hmm. his, his one of his his biggest thing. When it that, that's so simple, like that's not a that's not a equation that takes up di- giant chalkboards. He boiled that whole thing exactly. down to something very simple. You know, simple. But if you were to remove a single part of it, it'd be too simple. <laughs> <laughs> so you got it as simple as possible, but no simpler. That's awesome. That's what we want. Cool. Okay. As simple as possible, but no simpler with Einstein. Just make it as basic as possible. Yep. No need to to you know when you're teaching a technique, I think this one is that's key. Like, don't teach them a hundred million details. You know, show them what you need to show them first. You know, the basic fun, fundamentals of that technique. And then you can build upon that, but really, really, that's the main part of the technique. Make it simple. Simple. So, and that's how people learn. So here we go. That's cool. Uh, Gary, it is time again for the article of the week. Article of the week, my favorite time. We've got another one from our friends at whitebeltsurvivalstrategy.blogspot.com. This one is about taking notes. Yep, and uh, like I said uh, a couple episodes ago, you know, definitely check out that blog. Uh, Jesse uh, Saxon puts out some good stuff there. Yes, and and not just for white belts, but you know, any you know, we're all white belts at heart. We're always constantly learning and, and growing and, and training. Oh yeah, that's. Yeah, I mean, we can learn from anybody. That's uh, that's the key. Um, but uh, I I mentioned this uh, article. Uh, on his last article there about uh, rolling with women but you know his article is called uh, breaking down the notebook and i think it's a really uh, helpful article and not just for you know new white belts uh, i think anybody uh, can learn from this and uh, take some take some positives and, absolutely yeah from this article here. yeah he recommends um a three ring or not three ring binder uh three subject notebook to uh, to keep keep it organized, obviously he, he you know he's, it, it, he does have some humor in here, of course he always does, but you know um, unless you're some sort of super he, he, superhero at using tabs and stuff like that, but he's he says he's like more of an ape in clothing, which is kind of funny, but sounds like the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. So you know I you know I recommend yeah notes are notes are an effective way to remember because I can't remember what I did last week. Yeah, I mean how many times have you you know learn to move and then all of a sudden you're you, two days later you're like I don't remember or what did you have for dinner two days ago I don't remember I don't remember yeah, yeah. so how you, I mean really but it, but it, you open up your notebook it's so easy to review and it just jogs out your memory and you're ready to go and that really will accelerate your learning yeah it's definitely a key to learning there yeah he recommends um, 
kind of just keeping track of some basic positions, you know, like have an area for full guard, have something dedicated to, to maybe side control or mount, you know, and, and that way you're more organized with your not your note taking, you know, maybe less like just like what we did today, but have like a, you know, okay, today we did mount, so you go to the mount category and then write, write down my information, my techniques. Yeah. Great advice there. Of course, he recommends to write it down um, as soon as possible, which equals after your shower. <laughs> yeah, definitely shower first. Uh, so. We've probably had an article on ringworm before. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, definitely you want to shower and then write it down. Yeah. And, you know, uh, basically, like you said, once you learn something in class, write it down as soon as possible while it's still fresh in your memory. Um, and then he makes a good point, and I've done this numerous times, and I bet most of you have. Write it legibly. How many times <laughs> have I wrote something down and I can't read it? And I'm yeah. like, oh, what is this? And so definitely take your time. Make sure you can read it. Uh, you know, you're probably going to be the only one reading it. So don't worry about if something makes sense to you, go ahead and put it in there. Yeah. It doesn't have to, you know, have the perfect pen or the perfect with that apostrophe here and you yeah know, you that's my that's how i do it on the website you know yeah. i'm yeah. probably the one reading it except for i get all these complaints about how bad everything is sometimes <laughs> hey at least they're reading it hey it's good. if that. it goes up there that's, yeah. that's half the battle if we get a complaint about your penmanship or your your punctuation <laughs> that means that they're reading it so thank you um but you know what i really like too is um he goes on to talk you know he calls that the old school method but the nice thing is he lets us know about the uh, new school method, um, which is an app for smartphones uh, that you can get at uh, www.bjjtrainingjournal.com. And this is uh, basically allows, you know, allows you to, you know, synchronize with your smartphone. Um, and uh, but the other cool part about it, it has the old tap tracker tap where tracker. you can keep tap, keep track of all your taps, giving and receiving. Mine would be a lot higher on the receiving end. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but that's kind of cool. It'll help you. Maybe you didn't realize that you a third of your submissions are, you know, a guillotine or whatever. And then, oh, that is like a, one of my big moves. You may, it may kind of sneak by you how yeah. many you actually get. You, you look at it, and uh, you've had 50 submissions. You've submitted somebody 50 times, and 49 of them are Camorras. You know that your brick is the Camorra. Absolutely. And then you'll smash with it. Yep. We call it the brick tracker. The brick tracker. Yep. Or the brick finder. Help the you brick find finder. Brick. Yeah, there you go. Um, he does have, you have to go to the website, um, but you can see some pictures of that he has up there. And he's got uh, a picture of his shorthand, like, you know, how he, he uses arrows and some symbols to kind of uh, help show things the way they flow. And it really makes sense. Uh, when you visualize, when you're able to see it on the on the website, but. and that's that's really what I liked about this blog is he actually included pictures in it. I mean, it's easy to just write about it, and some somebody who's real brand new may not totally understand how to write it without you know. It's like you don't have a teacher; you just you're reading it right from the right from the blog there. But he goes in, and he puts pictures of his book. He actually showed a picture of the the, the notebook the, with the three dividers. So uh, we really appreciate that it makes it a lot easier to uh to break down and, yeah and if i can give a tip to jesse um from my experience uh the cover of that notebook should have like a ton of little drawings on it so his the cover of his notebook is pretty plain so maybe draw some funny things on there draw maybe some yeah. guys grappling but yeah or put you know have <laughs> draw guys grappling i don't know that, that might not come out so right but yeah 
stick but, guys grapple. Uh, every notebook I had in school had tons of, of yeah, doodles. On I'm it. with you. So check out the article. Um, it's on whitebeltsurvivalstrategy.blogspot.com. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Once again, thank you, Jesse. We appreciate it. Yep. Good stuff there, buddy. Um, let's go ahead and roll the interview. We've taken up a little bit of time with reading the whole big list, so uh, I know you guys are eager to hear what uh, our buddy Rafael has to say, so here we go. All right, my friends. I'd like to welcome Rafael Elvanger to the podcast. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing very good. Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Pleasure to have you here, and, and uh, I've heard a lot of good things about you, and we're excited to have you on the show. Um, could you kind of introduce yourself to the to the audience a little bit for us? Yeah. Uh... My name is Rafael Elwanger, uh from uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. I've uh, been Black Bell since um, April 10th, 2006. And I've been doing jiu-jitsu for the past 20 years. And where are you, where are you training out of now? Um, I used to train, I trained uh, two years ago. Like for 17 years, I trained at Gracie Baja. And uh, lately, I decided to leave the organization and uh, open my own my own gym. What is that called? Uh, called Grace United. Grace United. And you are, what, what city do you live in? Uh, I live, uh, it's between Baton Rouge and, and New Orleans. Okay. Called Hammond, called Hammond, Louisiana. Um, decided to open here because it's a college town. And if you're from the south and you understand it, there's a lot of flooding here, hurricanes and all that. So it's a city that doesn't flood and and has a good combination between the big city and the small city. So it's, it's good to live here. So, uh, let's see, 20 years of jiu-jitsu, where did you start? Where did you? Where are you from? Uh, I'm originally from Rio de Janeiro. Uh, my mom is from Rio, and my dad is from Brasilia, capital of Brazil. So I had, um, you know, I have contact with jiu-jitsu in Rio. Everybody knows jiu-jitsu in Rio. But uh, at first I was like anybody else oh this is not real you know I want to do kickboxing I did oh karate taekwondo and all that kind of stuff and everybody thought that the stand up was the way to go yeah and I had the opportunity to grapple with some of my students my friends that was like blue belts purple belts so that gave me a little little feeling and some little knowledge about what jiu jitsu is and um as when I was 16, I moved to live with my dad in Brasilia, capital of Brazil. Um, at that time, you know, I had a little accident. I, it's funny, but I jumped from a waterfall and uh-huh. I missed the water. <laughs> you did what? So you I missed, missed the-, the water. I jumped from the waterfall like 15, 20 feet and I missed the water. Oh. I don't know how is that possible, but it happened. And I broke my bow flags. Oh. So I was six months in a wheelchair, had some couple of surgeries, and um, the doctor said, look, man, you can't, you're not going to be able to do a lot of sports, you know, that might affect your walking and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you, when you're young, you don't believe in this kind of stuff, you know, you say, man, uh, you know, there's no way I, I'm going to be fine and all that kind of stuff. So when I was cleared from the doctor, I decided to look for martial arts in, in town. And I was lucky because in the very very same month, uh, my professor, Professor Jucon, uh, moved from Rio to Brazil to start his own school. So I was his first school, first, I'm sorry, I was his first student in a new school. And 
because I had a little experience. I'm not going to say I was not great. Yeah. But I knew what, a, what like a scissor slipper was, a real naked choke, uh, how to bridge, uh, little little things. Yeah. Uh, that gave me the jump start. Um, and when you're a little bit better than everybody else, that keeps you motivated. You know, yeah. You, yeah it, it's hard when you, you walk in the class, they have a lot of tough guys, and, and sometimes if you don't have the correct mindset, you, you, you get... You, you, you don't understand that that's a learning process. You you want to win. It's the human nature of anybody that they want to be successful in things. They need they want to win. They want to beat people up. And when they come to come into class and be humble and, and understand that there's a process and you're gonna to have to go through hard times to get in the good times. Um, uh, some people some people quit. You know and then. I think that's the biggest challenge for new guys is when you walk into a new gym is, you know, try to understand that there's, there will be a, a six, three, six month period that uh, you're probably not going to be as successful as you you wish you will be. But uh, after that, everything is going to be good. Yeah. I think it's, I think with the new people, they, they haven't, you know, they get like a little sneak peek of what it is before they get started they think that they could do it without actually doing any of it, and then they get frustrated, and they and they do want to win. They don't want to just like improve slowly. They want to start off and be good already. So that's kind of yeah. I have I have several people that walk in my gym and they say, "Man, I've been watching UFC for a long time. I've been grappling with my guys in the <laughs> garage or on the carpet of my uh, my house, and I decide to instead of sign up, I decide to start running and doing some lifting and." And I say, you're just going to be good in jiu-jitsu if you do jiu-jitsu. Yeah. You know, all the other stuff that you're postponing and you're trying to be ready, doesn't matter because I have a guy that just, he does triathlon. And he's the best shape you can possibly be. And after six minutes, he was dying on the mat. Yeah. It's a different cardio. It's a different mindset. Uh, I think jiu-jitsu is a lot of mental. And people underestimate that part. People think it's just physical. And it is physical. But if you break down mentally, your body's going to break down as well. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, I want to go back. Uh, you said when you jumped off the waterfall, you broke both your legs. Um, any lasting thing from that? Or are you 100% healed from your injury as a kid? Um, I didn't have a lot of injuries as a kid. And I, I have a few injuries as a, as a jiu-jitsu practitioner. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, jiu-jitsu is violent and all that. Um I have ACL surgery, uh, and I was playing soccer. So uh, I, when I tell the parents, I say, man, it, football is brutal. When you get hit and you don't know it's coming, yeah, then, you, then you're going to get hurt. But uh, even when you get punched, for MMA uh, guys that like to train, you see the punch coming. You might get hurt, but uh, your body is, is understanding what's going on. The problem about football and some other sports that you look into the side and and suddenly you got hit. It looked like look like you were in a car accident. You don't see it coming and hit you. So that's why you have a lot of damage, a lot of problems with with different sports, and you don't see that happening in jiu-jitsu as much. You know, I had a lot of uh, few injuries on my fingers. Yeah. And ribs and ribs because you know people pass my guard. I try to bridge and escape and and hip escape and that they have the floating ribs, but it's not. It's painful. And it's 
is nagging and takes a long time to heal, but it's not a major injury like, you know, breaking arms. People say, oh, arm bars all the time. I, I've been teaching for 20 years and nobody broke their arm in my gym, ever. So, <laughs> you know, pop, yeah. and, and you, you stay two weeks with that little pain on your elbow. Everybody knows what the pain is. If you train your gym too and you get arm bar, you know, behind your elbow, you're going to feel that little shock, that little pain. But that's about it. You know, you IC and you take two weeks easy, and that's it. I think one of the worst injuries you can have in jiu-jitsu is you qualify a year. You know, that that's painful. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that's going to happen to you sooner or later. Yeah. Uh, I broke my year as a black belt. So I never had, I never had a qualifier year until I, I, I made black belt, which is very strange. And now I look ugly like everybody else. You know, everybody <laughs> has that, that cauliflower year. So. That's funny. That's funny. Um, if somebody hasn't seen you uh, on the mats, could you describe, like, your game? Uh, I I like uh, – my game is, is – uh, I'm not very, very technical, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, my game is more like a power jiu-jitsu. Um, I did judo for five, six years. And I, I compare my game uh, with Salo Ribeiro, pretty much. Of course, Salo is, is <laughs> up there, and I'm yeah. not, I'm not Salo Ribeiro. But uh, with the style, a lot of throws and a lot of power passes and a lot of points. I, I'm not very good in submission. Um, my my game is a lot, a lot of points, a lot, a lot of pressure. Uh, that's how I like to play. Um one thing that I tell my students all the, all the time is uh, study the rules, know the rules, and play with the rules. Uh, I raft jiu-jitsu for a long, long time, and I know the rules very, very well. I study the rules. Every every change of the rules, I, I go do the IBJJF classes. Because if you know the rules, you're a better player. You know, if you, yeah, if you go play if you go play the 21 in the casino and you don't know how to play 21, you're going to end up losing. So, there's a lot of gray areas and a lot of things that you can explore in the BJJ grappling game uh, that if you if you know how to play well, you're going to end up winning fights. Uh, I don't advise people to just trust on that gray area. You know, go to win, go to try to submit, go to try to score a lot of points. But lately, you can see that uh, most of the fights are ending in advantage and referee decisions, they're getting closer and closer and closer. So the little mindset and the little rules that you can take advantage of, that might be decisive uh, who's going to win the fight or not. You said you're not, you're not like as focused on the submission as the average, or, or as some, I guess, grapplers or whatever, but are your students, do they have a similar game that you have, or do they kind of... Find their own. Game. I have I have a weird game. I, I have a hybrid game. You know, I was teeny uh, for a long time, and um, you know, I came to U.S. and I I found out Chinese buffet. <laughs> and, uh, and then me and Chinese buffet have a long time relationship, and I've been pulling like ten pounds every year, and I hope that stops right now because I cannot pull more ten pounds every year. Yeah, but uh. You know, I used to be a, a 185, a 190. You know, I came to America, I was a 205-er, and now I'm like 265. So the, ch- the game changed. You know, I have a, 
I I was in Chill Purple Bell. I was a guard guy, a battle guy with good takedowns. And nowadays I'm more like a passer and pressure. You know, you wait, you can use that. If you know how to wait, use your weight, you can do very, very well. Um, I think the biggest thing that people are not uh, training enough and they need to focus on it is takedowns and leg locks. You know, yes. uh, the, the bad part is the IBJJF um, rules are not are not very nice. I I respect the rules, but I don't I don't like the rules. I think everybody else has different opinions about rules. But uh, my biggest complaint about the rules is you can do just straight full locks uh, until purple bell, and then after purple bell you can do pretty much everything but heel hooks. Yeah. So. You know, I think it should be a progressive, um, like like the belt system. You know, a blue belt, you can do a straight full lock, and a, a purple belt can do a knee bar, a brown belt can do a toe hole, and then a black belt can do everything, including kind of slicers or something like that. You know, the, the, the more you get progressive on the belts, the harder or the more allowed, you should be allowed to do more submissions or allowed to play a little bit more. Um, because I have a, a tough transition from purple belt to brown belt. I usually play lots of guard a lot as a purple belt. And when you get a brown belt, your foot get exposed underneath the armpit of the guy. And they were attacking full locks on me like crazy. And I was, man, I was not ready. You know, the transition was a little bit complicated. In Brazil, at that time, nobody did a lot of full locks. But in America, it was very, very common. People from no gi likes to do a lot of leg locks. So when I moved to US, I had to be very cautious with my feet. Yeah, I think that I think that you're right about the foot locks, and it goes back to saying and and the takedowns. Like, look at the rules and see what you can do, and then and then work within that. And if I mean they don't reward you or, or discourage you from pulling guard. There's no like little negative advantage or or whatever or, you know a point for the other guy or something like that. So people pull guard and they don't work in their takedowns, and then the foot the footlocks are are limited with the rules, so people don't train them as much, and that is a big hole in, in people's games. I mean, you're right on both of them, I think. Yeah, I, I I'm a big believer when you when you turn Brownell, if you don't have a great takedown defense, uh, uh, great takedowns, and you don't know a lot of footlocks. You're not gonna be successful nowadays. That double pull that look like two upside down spiders uh, <laughs> is the, the ugliest thing that jujitsu is going through right now. I'm I'm completely against the the double pull and the fifty fifty. Um, I really I really think that they're destroying the sport because people are playing that game just to get advantages and one come up one come up. There's nothing good come out of the fifty fifty position. However, if you pull heel hooks, yeah. that would be a fun. That would be fun. It'd make it totally for me, different. You know, I I'm I'm totally against heel hooks, but um, if you're gonna pull fifty fifty legal, I I think they should do heel hooks too. So nobody else is gonna play fifty fifty from now on. Yeah, you would... cannot go to a position that you cannot progress. It's just a stalling position. Because there's like bearing bolos and all that kind of fancy stuff. I dislike. But they try and sweep. They try to flip the guy. They try to do different things. When you look at a 50-50 position, it's just stalling. It's ugly, you know. Yeah, especially like without the foot, without the heel hook. It's 
Yeah. It, it slows things down, that's for sure. But if they added that, it would be a lot more dynamic, especially exactly. at the black belt you level. Know, yeah. I think uh, heel hook is a, uh, is a very, very dangerous position that, that can end your career. <clears throat> that's why I'm, I dislike because it doesn't affect your, your ankle like like people think. Yeah. Destroy your knees. Yeah. You know? And people don't know how to defend it. They defend rotating, so they put even more torque on your ligaments yeah. underneath. But, um, you know, I, you know, I grew up, there's one guy passing and one guy doing guard. Uh, I can't stand two guys doing guard. And they both look into the ceilings and one throw the leg into one side, one throw the leg to the other side. And I can cannot, I cannot watch any black belt match below light division. Because it's the same stuff over and over and over and over. And you can't see, they they want to be in the bottom for the last minute of the fight. So they can have the last sweep yeah. and win the fight. So it's like there's 10 in a fight, and they one sweep, they got a sweep. And they all sweep, and one sweep. And when they get eight minutes, eight and a half, they try to fight to see who is going to be in the bottom. So in the last 30 seconds, they can sweep and win the match. So everything is, is a sweep. And nobody passed nobody's guard, and the and the one that end up in the bottom for the last minute and a half end up winning most of the time. It's an ugly game. Is 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 I I think judicial has to have a serious um, conference and decide what they're gonna do with the sport. I think judo destroy uh, the way that they're doing judo right now. The Olympic uh, rules change and change for the worse. Um, same is happening with jiu-jitsu, you know, like they have a new rule right now. If you, if the guy does a single leg and his head is outside instead of inside and you try to sweep him or, you know, that, the, the, uh, tomoyanagi, when you yeah. kind of pull guard and try to flip him, yeah, yep. if, he spikes, if he spikes his head on the ground, you disqualify. So... The guy shoot a double, a single leg or a double leg on you wrong with a head outside and you try to counter with a takedown and you the get disqualified, that makes no sense. Yeah, that does no. not make sense. You, you cannot be punished by counter a move. You know, takedown is a takedown. I, I don't, I, oh, this takedown was good, but, you know, they trying to avoid, like they, they did for the wrestlers and like two years ago, you cannot, cannot double leg and stand up, double leg and stand up. I understand. But man, you know, if we start to avoiding wrestlers, we start to avoiding sambo guys, if we start avoiding these guys and their guys, this is not gonna be jujitsu. This is gonna be, you know, a different sport that that's not the roots of the Gracie family. You know, we we suppose should be ready for anything they throw at us. Yeah. Um can you think of how you would uh, maybe change or add or take away a rule to make it. Make uh, it like different. I said, I, I think uh, the should the rules supposed to be harder in every belt. Yeah, so, add so when you become less. a black belt, you you of course you you, you should be do, allowed to do everything. Um, I, I'm against a double pulling. I think they changed. They did just change the rules. If you double pull and nobody does anything, they stand up and punish both of the guys. Yeah, I think that's a good. That's a good. Um, Good way to start doing this. I don't, um, I don't I understand that, that one. Um, so if, let's say, you and me are competing, and we, we both pull guard, and they stand us up, and they punish us both, mm-hmm. we're both got punished. 
it just made them both get punished. But, but I mean, if, so if you pull guard if again, you're doing two or three times, you both get the cue. So it just forces so one of them time, to not. The first time is a punishment. The second time is two points. The third time you you disqualify. And then they also so, made the rule where if they both pull guard, the one that comes up first gets uh, an advantage. Gets an advantage. So then I think, yeah. like, if if I pull guard on you, and you're happy, you know, you're going to pass. But you could get a free advantage point if you if you quickly sit down and pop back up. Yeah, but uh, most of the little guys that do this game. They're very good at sweeps. Yeah. So they prefer to lose the advantage and sweep you and win the fight okay. than the opposite. So nobody wants camera. That's the thing. Nobody wants to be, that's what I told you about when they get eight minutes, nine minutes, they train to be on the bottom yeah. so they can win with a sweep in the end. They even give positions away if they are ahead on points yeah. to be in the bottom and be more comfortable on the, on the little man game and then try to sweep and win in the end. So um, I think my biggest complaint is the, the the you know what is restricted for the for brown belt and below. I think there should be more more and more according to your belts. Yeah. And another other thing that I disagree is about uh, the time limits. Uh, I think I think like when you for example I'm a, I'm a senior right now. A black belt five five minutes is is horrible because it. Any black belt is decent. You know, they're going to shake hands. They're going to look around. They're going to try to do some takedowns here and there. So right there, you spend a minute, a minute and a half, two minutes. And then if you, unfortunately, somebody puts you down, you almost don't have time to come back to a fight. Yeah. You know, two experienced guys fighting, and then three minutes on the fight, you need to sweep the guy. It's, it's hard for you to sweep somebody in two minutes. Uh so uh, my, uh, that's one of my biggest complaints. I, I don't think a black belt should fight um, just five minutes. Five minutes of white belt time. So I think they should give a little bit more time for the for the black belts, masters and seniors. Masters is six minutes, seniors is five minutes. <clears throat> I think they uh, they should change the time limits a little bit, even ten minutes. I don't know. You, you love jiu-jitsu. I love jiu-jitsu. I stay there. I watch several other fights. Yeah. But some fights, 10 minutes, I want to kill myself. <laughs> you know, I look at them, and they're so boring. Yeah. And then you look to the side, and the fight is over. Sometimes people submit like that, like a, in, a, in a split second. So I, sh- I think they should follow the, what Abu Dhabi is doing. You know, I think the perfect timing would be seven minutes. It's not too long, but it's not too, you know, too little. So if you if you get a takedown or something, you, you still have time to to come back and, and fight. That's interesting. So, um, I, I wonder. Black belt has been doing it for a long time. Yeah. If you black belt, you cannot grab for five minutes. You're not supposed to fight. <laughs> yeah, you need to. I guess it depends who you're grappling with, but yeah, you should be able to in a competitive match go longer than five minutes. I mean, you 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 see, if you're a decent black belt and you've been training, you can get caught. Yeah, you know everybody can get caught, but everybody has three, four, five minutes. You see anybody fighting Kinnikerly Cornelius or fighting Harger Grace or fighting somebody else or Shandy Hibero, they have the first two or three minutes, and then later on you can see Harger playing and you guys don't play, and then he play again and the guys don't play, and then he ends up getting tapped. The first three minutes when he's rested, his energy, his mind is is not. 
break down yet. He likes to play in chess. He play, you play. He play, you play. He play, you play. When you get four minutes, they double play and triple play, and you're just scratching your head and say, what should I do? And then you end up tapping. You know, I had a opportunity to fight some tough guys, high-level guys, uh, like Eduardo Tellez. I fought Rodrigo Comprido twice. And and that's the kind of position you're going to put yourself into. You know, you're going to fight uh, some guys that, that play that game and you have to keep moving. You have to keep playing. And if you if you stop to think, you're too late. That's the thing. Yeah. I'd like to get back a little bit uh, about you and your story, but um, why did you end up in uh, Louisiana? Um, that's the funny story. Uh, my family came in 2001. My dad has a government job. Uh, he works for the World Bank. And... Um, my dad was for Microsoft, and my mom uh, worked for the World Bank. And they came in 2001 to Washington, D.C. I was a computer science guy in Brazil. I did computer science. I worked for Microsoft as well uh, in Oracle. Uh, so I was a nerd. Yeah. But I, I did BJJ as well, <laughs> so I was a, a tough nerd. Um, uh, I was Purple Bell at the time, and I I came to the to, um, to U.S. to learn English, and try to do my master's here. So I, I ended up doing some classes at the University of Maryland. You know, I met some guys. I went to the Yamazaki gym um, in D.C. I didn't, feel, I didn't feel very welcome over there. And I tried some local gyms around, and I met a guy called Mike Moses. Um, he has an evolved gym in Maryland, a very successful gym. Um, and him, and they have... Uh, Two other students called Nakapon, is a very tough MMA guy, and Todd Margolis, which is a very good wrestler and jiu-jitsu guy, very famous on the East Coast. And we decided to open a school. And I was teaching there, helping them. Uh, but it was a rough time. You know, September 11 happened. I was applying for my student visa. And two of the hijackers that came uh, to the United States to, you know, to attack the World Trade Center, they came with a student visa. Yeah. So all the foreigners that were applying for getting the visa and uh, scholarships and all that, they suspended until they can investigate who was and who was inside. You don't see if they have more more terrorists or not. So my my scholarship and my, all my my student visa were was declined, and I, I had to go back to Brazil. So I stayed here for a year. I went back to Brazil. I did my master's there. But my heart was here. You know, uh, I, I, you know, I experienced the, how, how united, how, how close people got after September 11, uh, and the love uh, with the flag and the love about their country. And that, that really touched me. You know, uh, I'm Brazilian. Uh, I love my country. But, uh, the sense of pride that Americans people have is above and beyond any nation out there. You know, the military in Brazil, people make jokes on them. Politics in Brazil is almost as bad as politicians here. But uh, people put that aside and love the country. Yeah. Uh, in Brazil, in Brazil, people think the, the nation is a joke. Uh, you know, they don't they don't respect the flag they're like supposed to, and nobody's seen the national anthem before sports events. So it, it's different. You know, I'm not saying that we're bad, but here 
they put things in a higher standard. And, um, and if you have a, a background in martial arts and you understand the pride, the honor, and all that kind of stuff, that, kind of, that, that stuff kind of touch you deeply more than, than anything else. So I did my master's in business over there, and I was um, this time when I came back, I was I was in Rio with my mom. So I trained with Osvaldo Alves, which is a fantastic, one of the most knowledgeable black belt that you can possibly um, know and meet. Uh, he was Vito Belfort's uh, professor. He was Jacare Souza, Andre Galvão, um, many many champions. Um, He's a black belt in judo in Japan. Yeah. So the man, the man is fantastic. He has. He, I don't. I don't. I believe that he has more than, than a thousand black belts under him under himself in Brazil. Wow. Um, and he has a little school. It's funny. He has a little school in Copacabana, and it's right next to my house. So that's why I found out. But the gym may be five hundred square foot gym. So, fits like eight people, nine people, and. You have to be fortunate to go there, and, and and he let you train with him. At first, you know, I want to train. He said, "No, I'm full, I'm full." And I said, "Professor, come on!" And I, I bag, bag, bag. And he said, "Okay, meet me in the beach, six o'clock in the morning tomorrow." Yeah. And I said, "And I say, in the beach, six o'clock in the morning?" He said, "Yeah, <laughs> we do, we do uh, strength and conditioning in the beach in the morning. Uh, at lunchtime, we lift some weights." And in the nighttime, we drill and do positions and grapple. And I was like, wow, this old man is crazy, you know. And we went to the beach and we do sprints on the sand and run a couple miles and do chin-ups and push-ups and all that kind of stuff. And at 12 o'clock at noon, they do some squats, deadliftings and all that kind of stuff. And in the nighttime, they drill, 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 drill. The, the old man is, uh, he's from Amazonas, which is the Amazon River over there or the, where they have the jungle. Yeah, but he moved. To, he moved to Rio, and man, the guy, the guy's a god in Amazon. You know, he you go there to have so many jiu-jitsu practitioners like Saul Ribeiro, Bibiano. And there's a lot of guys that that come from Amazon, the Jacare Souza, and um, everybody loved this man. He's, he was a coach of Amari Bitati. A lot of people don't know who Amari Bitati is, but uh, he's one of the gods of jiu-jitsu. Uh, I think it was the first guy to win uh, two times the Open Class Champion as a black belt. Yeah, there's a lot of tough guys in Brazil that people people don't remember. Everybody wants to know the Bolo guys and all that, but there's a lot of old school legends that that, that this new generation doesn't know. You know? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a lot of old footage, and a lot of it is not is nowhere to be found, but a lot of history that. That has shaped and yeah, there's shaped a guy in Brazil called Paqueta. He just passed away. He's uh, he was the first guy that recorded uh, jiu-jitsu competition and jiu-jitsu tournaments in Brazil. Yeah, and the old VHS uh, videos. You know, he he have thousands and oh, thousands man. of matches, and that's the only guy that has the library of history of jiu-jitsu. You know, everybody knows jiu-jitsu after 1995. Yeah, but what happened before? This old man has everything, man. He he he's a legend of the sport. Like what Budo Vigio does right now, he was doing in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I, I you know what? If if you were to go back and watch enough of that tape, do you think you'd see some of this? Uh, some of the newer stuff 
like appeared just a little bit in some of those old fights? Or do you think that that wasn't even around? You know what I mean? Yeah, you, you can't tell. Jiu-Jitsu evolved a lot. Yeah. And and people are putting two things together. Uh, you know, the Baron Bolo was, was a Delahiva sweep that people people did wrong and then tried to muscle out of and they end up learning how to to take the back. was nothing more than a Delahiva sweep. They, yeah. Then if the guy fall wrong, you can go end up going in the back. Uh, you know, they have a guy from Gracie Bar, Samuel Braga, that he did that very bowler for years. And now the Mendes brother claims to, oh man, this is my position. They became famous, but Samuel was the one that, that was doing over and over and over as a purple belt, brown belt, and black belt. And Samuel is several times world champion, but he doesn't get the credit uh, for, for the position that he put together. It's not invented, you know. Uh, like there's a good friend of mine that grew up with me called Barata, and everybody talk about the Barata Plata. Barata Plata is it's a position that torque your shoulder and biceps. can be a bicep slicer, can be a shoulder lock. And he learned that from my professor, Hugh Cone. But because he did so well and from so many angles, he became famous for that. But yeah. nobody was doing fans for anything nowadays, you know? Yeah. It, 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 it had to be crazy to claim that you invent something. Yeah, people make up names for stuff, I guess, but a lot of these things yeah, have been around for a long they time. Have, they everybody knows that <laughs> you know, states that he's a creator of everything. You know, so uh, that's the funny, the funny guy. Can, can you think? Um, you got your black belt in two thousand six. Is that right? Yeah, I, I went. Like I said, I. When I finished my master's in 2005, um, I, I told my family that I would take one year off and pursue my dream. Cool. So I went I went to uh, the day before New Year's Eve. I went to Portugal and Spain. Uh, I spent three months in Spain. I fought the European Championship. I won division in the Open as a brown belt. And came to Pan Ams. I won my division as a brown belt. And two days after Pan Am's, I got my black belt in 2006, April 10th, 2006. Cool. Well, it sounded like you had uh, a very successful uh, mother and father, you know, like r- really good jobs at, at, at big companies. And and then you're pursuing jiu-jitsu. Did, was that, did they support you entirely on that? Or was there a little bit of a, like, what are you doing no, with your my, life? My family hated jiu-jitsu <laughs> two, two years ago. <clears throat> you know, because they, they have the perception that uh I could do much ma- much better by being a computer science guy. I have a stable life. I have a nice apartment, a car, but I was miserable. You know, I was making a lot of money. But, you know, that, that's a nine-to-five job that you hate. You wake up, you're miserable Monday, and you're miserable Friday. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I tell my students all the time. You know, it's okay for you to pursue your dream. But don't tell me that your dream is like, oh, I want to be an NFL player, or I want to be a jiu-jitsu, or I want to be George St. Pierre. Yeah. There's so much stuff. There's so much stuff between now and then that you have to be prepared of. You know, so I recommend everybody to go through your education. And, you know, if you can, and if you think the college is for you, but college is not for everybody. You know, if you think college is for you, you know, go to college. And then you, if you want to be a jiu-jitsu guy, that's fine. I think I'm very, very successful because 
I, I can speak a, a better English than most of the Brazilian guys that I know. And I, because I went through business school and computer science, I know how to market myself. I know how to do a nice website. I know accounting. I know, you know, a lot of things that most of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts, they are very, very good in jiu-jitsu. But they let gym owners take advantage of them. They don't understand finances very well. And they think it's just sell gis and teach class. And there's much more than just that, you know. Yeah, and you said about two years ago your family started to like the fact that you're in jiu-jitsu. What happened then? Yeah, what's, what's funny, I brought my, my dad uh, to visit the school, and we we stopped talking because he, he said uh, he thought I'd destroy my life, you know. He said, man, he's going to quit a Microsoft job to to go, to go, his words, wrestle with sweaty man. That's what he said. What's <laughs> 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 so, funny, because that stick with me, and you're gonna, yeah. it's, kind of, it's kind of personal, you know, they're yeah. going to wrestle with sweaty man. And I was pissed. Kind of hurts, like, yeah. Man, I can't believe you said that to me. You know, um, it's like disrespecting so, what you're doing, and then the the whole sport that you're that you're working with, and that that would hurt. Yeah, and, yeah it, it, it's it's you spit on something that you, you think is can be the, the the thing of your life, you know, the change of your life. And uh, so when he came here and saw my kids program and people. Uh, Approaching him and saying, "Man, you have a great son. Oh man, you, you know, he's a very good role model for my kids." So, and the kids high five me and give me hugs and say that they love me. And you know, jujitsu can change people's lives in so many ways. Uh, from people that lose weight now they can tie your shoes, uh, people that can run a mile, and people that don't have any friends and now they're the funny kid in the class and have plenty of friends and bullies that now they know they cannot be bullies and kids that were bullying and now they're confident enough to don't get bullied no more. There's so many ways you can change people's life through Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Jiu-Jitsu changed mine. And I, I think that's that my legacy is is trying to change people's life the way Jiu-Jitsu changed mine. Um, that, that's priceless, you know. I want to. I want to be successful. I want to pay my bills. I want to have a nice car, a nice house. But uh, in the end of the story, uh, if I just go out and understand that a lot of people are thankful to me because I make their life better, that's priceless. You know, that's 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 an honor. That's awesome to hear. That's it. You know, it's bigger than winning any any particular tournament or anything like that. Is is how you affect people, and 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 how. How you could how you could benefit them and and, and share yeah, like what I you said, have. I won I won Pan Ams two or three times. Yeah, you know as a black belt as well. You know I won the U.S. Nationals Naga Grappler's class last year this weekend. I won the World's Open class as a black belt, which is a dream come true. Yeah, for me that's personal. You know, it's a personal goal. Everybody wants to be a black belt world champion, and it took me 19 years, but but. I finally. I well, congratulations! It. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, that was that was a cherry on the top of the ice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, uh, in March I I competed in Chicago against Comprido. Yeah, uh, Comprido. I lost two to nothing. 
And uh, I won the open class that day. I got second in my division. I got wow. first on the open. And I got ranked number one in the world in my age group. So uh, uh, that that itself made made all my career as personal level um, a lot of sense. It's like, man, I'm not only a world champion, uh, black belt uh, world champion, and open class champion and ranked number one. So there's not a lot of things that I, I would like to achieve as as personal goals. But uh, now I'm focused on making students world champion, uh, and I can leave my dreams through them. And it's been hard for me because I'm supposed to be fighting this weekend, and I have a long talk with my wife. I'm out of shape, fat, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I, I was not ready to go. But it's hard for you to let it go. It's hard for you to say, hey, I think it's time. You know, and uh, I, I have a long talk with my family, my parents, and all that. They say, look, you don't want to be like Mike Tyson. was one of the greatest fight ever. Yeah. And be- became a joke after that because he, he was fighting for money. He was fighting when he was not ready. And you lose that reputation, that credibility, and all that kind of stuff. So... I'm not comparing myself with Mike Tyson, <laughs> but uh, uh, I just I just think it's better to to retire on top than yeah. than just keep fighting for fighting. And uh, my students need me. Uh, I think it's time for me to stop focus on Raphael and focus on your team. Um, it, it makes sense for you. I think it's it's it's, it's selfish of me. Try to keep pushing me, 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 me instead of us, 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 us. So uh, I'm struggling with that because once you're a fighter, you're a fighter. You know, it's hard for you to say no more. But, yeah. Uh, I, I think I think now it's time. Um, so I don't think I have a lot, a lot of a lot, a lot fighting on me no more. Um, it may be in the future, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna take a, like a, a one two year break. Uh, maybe try to trim down, lose some weight, and focus on my on my organization and my students. You know. You know, when you win a major tournament, I imagine it it feels really good, and and you and you and you feel like all the hard work paid off, and it was a big success. And then compare that feeling with how you felt when when your when your dad came to visit, and and one of the the people said, "Hey, you've got." Of great son, he's doing great things with these kids, and, and and he's he's a great role model. How are those two things that that are both it's real totally positive compared? Being being a being a, a role model and all that kind of stuff is priceless. You know, yeah. uh, I I read something about that João Miwon. The little kids, the Chinese Brazilian kids, they're very good. I don't know, it's Paulo and João, the Miwon yeah, brothers yeah, or yeah. something. They're very good, very phenomenal. And um, I think he won Pan Ams or European, and he put the, there was in the podium, and he took a picture. And he came out of the podium, he took the medal, and put it on his back. And a reporter came, hey, can you put that, that medal back on your neck so I can take a picture? He said, no, I can't. And the guy thought he was joking. And he said, no, please, put the medal on and take a picture. He said, no, that medal is gone. I'm already thinking about the next one. So... The, hmm. the world championship is a good feeling for that 30 minutes, maybe an hour. Yeah. And then, and then you realize that's gone. It was a 
brilliant moment that lasts a couple hours. That's it. And then life goes on. You know, uh, of course, my students talk, my uh, my wife talk, a lot of people talk, but uh, it's it's that five minutes of uh, fame that you have on TV or something. Yeah. And then um, the the changes that you do in people's life is forever. You know, I have students that don't even train with me no more. They see me on the street and say, hey, this is Professor Raphael. They introduce me to their kids and say, man, he's a great man. He helped me to do this. He helped me to fight depression. Oh, I, I was alcoholic. And, man, you speechless. You know, and I'm, I'm not perfect. You know, don't get me wrong. I, a lot of people think that, uh, oh, you carry yourself in a high standard. You know, I'm a normal person like everybody. Yeah. I mean, I made, I made my share of mistakes in my life. But uh, because you're trying to put a, a positive message to some people, uh, you might be able to touch them deeply and make them make them go to a different different path on their life. And jiu-jitsu is so nice that allows us as, with a tool to, to do that kind of stuff. Just to give you an example, I have some nerd students, um, man, to the worst kind, nerd, nerd, nerd. <laughs> and and I, I look at them sometimes and say, I would never be friend of that guy yeah. in any, any environment if it was not jiu-jitsu. We have something in common. We, we, we chat, we talk, we have fun, we eat barbecue, we watch UFC together. And then I try to link myself with all my students and the only thing that links us together, the most different people in the world, is this sport that we love. So yeah, that, absolutely. that's pretty amazing. Yeah. You get you get doctors with guys that can't find a job, and you get the the super athletic with the with the bookworm, and and they they all end up being friends. And and you know I you, I, have, I have a guy with a funny pack and an accountant glasses. He's a tough purple belt, and you look at him on the street, he can't believe. That a guy <laughs> is, a, is an athlete. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, I, nothing, nothing makes me like, I love it when you, we get the, the nerdy guy and he's got, you know, a couple of years in and he's getting pretty good. And then you get somebody who's new who's just looking at him like he's going to kill him and it doesn't happen. Exactly. It, I mean, well, that's, that's beautiful jiu-jitsu. I have, I have a kid in my gym called Ninja. He's like 120 pounds, brown belt, and he got funny ears, big nose, uh, and uh, everybody that walk in at the gym, I say, hey, go train with the little kid. Up <laughs> and Ninja, you know, tear them up. And the guys don't believe, you know, hurt their feelings. You know, people like, oh, I was, I was Marine. I was doing these. I'm a bodybuilder. And they go there and you, you lose for a 120-pound man. You know, that's a good reality check there. Yeah. You say, man, this, this works. Yeah, and, and either uh, you you figure out that you want to learn what he's doing, or that it wasn't for you. Either you're way, quit. Yeah, you're it's, a, quit. Yeah. it's a big day right there. If you think about like uh, like let's say you have a student who's who's been coming in for you know, a year or so, and they want to do their first tournament, and and they're asking you for advice, maybe a month or so in advance. What what would you tell them to get them ready? Uh, man, I uh, I'm very competitive. I grew up fighting. My professor fights a lot. Yeah, um, he's ranked number one in the world too, and uh, he's a uh, like forty eight years old, and I think he has like, if you look in the rankings, like six seven hundred points in front of the second place, and uh, 
the old man is just loved to fight. He fights every day. He trains every day. So I grew up with that mentality. Um, when I came to the West, I have a little reality check. I want to open a gym for champions. And in my first year, I have 20 students and more than 120 waivers, people that came to visit and didn't stick with it. Yeah. So we, we're running, uh, you know, a couple miles outside the gym and pushing. And um, uh, it took me a little while to understand that uh, I I need to find a way to share jiu-jitsu with the 90% of the population that's not athletic, not just 10%. And wow. on the second year, I decided to change that. So I, I introduced a, a fundamentals class, and I have the advanced class after that. Yeah. So I can push the athletic guys when they want. But I had to have a fundamental class for the everyday kind of people that walk through the door. And I think that's what made uh, made a difference, you know, in my jiu-jitsu program is because I was not, you know, you cannot just have the 300s. Everybody's Spartans, everybody with a nice staff, <laughs> and everybody's ready to fight, you know. Uh, we have the carpenter, we have the, the farmer, we have the nurse, we have everybody. Uh, if you look in a big army, you know, we have to have medics. We have to have suppliers. We have to have uh, telecommunication guys. You cannot just have Marines that historians, you know. So uh, that's that's what a big eye opening for me. And then I realized that I can make the medic to be a good shooter, too. I can, uh, you know, the telecommunication guys do a nice arm bar. I can be a good fighter. Um, not all the Marines have very good competitors. I have tough guys that don't compete well, and I have a lot of tough guys that they're unbelievable. They, when they compete, they are phenomenal. Uh, they deal with the pressure well. They understand pressure, um, and then they compete. Uh, one thing that I like to tell my students is, is funny. Um, there's an old movie in Brazil they call it The Highlander. I don't know how they call it here. It's the same name. Yeah. It's an old movie. That, that they have a bunch of warriors and you have to cut their head off. And when you cut their head off, you get their power. And in the end of the movie, the story is it can only be one. It can only be yeah. one. They tell this all the time. So I, I tell the joke to my students. I say, look, it can only be one. But when you're competing, you better cut everybody's head. Don't let nobody cut your head because <laughs> there's only one gold medal. And then people laugh and all that kind of stuff. They... they they watch some people with the kids that watch the movie and they get the movie and the movie's horrible. <laughs> but they have they have that mentality, you know, say, man it's like anything in a corporate life. There's one president. There are few directors that the gold medals and silver medals. You wanna be the president? You wanna be the vice president? You wanna be a director? Or you wanna be uh the guy that's uh, that don't do anything? You know, you have to seek Seek gold, go for gold, you know. Uh, and and the other thing that I tell them is, uh, leave everything you can in the mat. You know, I re- yeah. I hate when people lose pretty. I tell them, you lose pretty. Oh, I just lost five percentage. You loser like the other one that lost by twenty points. You the loser like the other one that lost by armbar. You know, some people hold that to look good in front of their families or their girlfriend. You know. Just go there and, and do your best. If your coach is screaming for you, is still screaming for you, that's because he still believes you can win. 
you know, when you can don't stop screaming, you know, you know, the fight's over or there's no way you can win. But don't accept defeat. Just fight until the end. And nothing makes a coach more proud than you see that the guy have no quit on him. You might not be good. I have a kid here in my gym that he doesn't win very often. And but he competes every single event. And that's an example. Everybody say, man, which is your best student? Is that one that, that fight UFC? I say, no, is that one over there in the corner? They say, that one? I say, yeah. Because that guy, he self-motivates himself, goes to the competition, fight. Most of the time he doesn't place, and he keeps going forward. Yeah. That, that's the guy that you need to look at. Say, man, teach me how to be you. Because it's easy to keep going forward when you're successful. I want to see you going forward after you, you have, you know, defeat after defeat after defeat, and you still find motivation to keep going forward. That's the chance for me. It's not the, the talent guys. It's easy to be self-motivated when you, you're successful. Yeah. Yeah, and that kid has a strong, he's strong mentally. Yeah. And, and if he it, wants to... Hard, if he wants I don't know to, if I would be a jiu-jitsu guy if I lose my first pain event. Yeah. <laughs> if, if if that I kid I would probably want... be doing bowling or playing, you know, playing, I don't know, Age of Empires or something. <laughs> I would not be a jiu-jitsu guy. Yeah. But that, I mean, that kid with that sort of determination and, and, and just strong mind, whatever he wants to do, he's going to be able to do it. You know, if he wants to pursue jiu-jitsu, you know, his whole life, and, 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 and if he wants to go to school and, and get a certain job... That sort of like stick to itiveness and, and determination, you know, he's going to be successful at what he puts his mind to. Exactly, uh, and it, it, it's it, it's the, these kind of cases that that you get proud of being a good coach. Yeah, you know, to motivate people that is successful or a talent, you just you just molding. You know that the engine is there. You know, you just have to tune up the engine. Yeah, I want to see you get a car that doesn't run. And start from scratch and make it make a successful part. You know, pulling up the engine is is easy. You need to know how to get a car from nothing and make them a, a winning car. Yeah, or get a car that loses a lot and then and then make that a winning car. That's cool. Exactly. And uh, I think like like you were saying, the mental game is very is very hard in jujitsu. I think everybody can have cardio. I think everybody can have positions in uh and if I look around, I have a very successful gym. But the guy next door to me has his little three or four champions as well. Every school has the little three or four guys that are very talented. What makes my gym a little bit more special, I have 15 locations. So once I get three or four from each gym times 15, that's 60, 70 guys. So it looks like that we are better, but it's not. It's just... We can cross-train better. We can train together better. And when the group is strong, you don't need a leader too much. You know, I take credit from what I start, but now it's a snowball. I have from black to brown to white to purple to blue. And even if I am get out of the picture a little bit, that snowball is going to keep rolling down the down hill because the group is so strong and so self-motivated. It's good to have a leader. But once you have the, the whole group set up, it, they generate chances itself. 
it's hard when you're a small gym and you have two or three talents and they just fight each other all the time so they don't get challenged. Yeah. But once you get four or five from each gym in the same class every 15 days or once a month, then that's when we excel. That's like almost getting tournament experience all the time on, or on a regular basis. I tell my guys, okay, some, I have a training class, a no-gi class Saturday in my, in my headquarters, 11 o'clock. If you can go for the, uh, do 10 rounds of six minutes, I want a rest. If you can go to that 10 rounds every Saturday, you you should should not be afraid of anything. Yeah. You, know, you can lose fights and all that, but you you know you're not mentally weak. But if you can take 10 minutes with a tough guy, <laughs> you know, uh, in a 10 rounds of six minutes, you know you're going to be mentally strong. You're going to yeah. be confident. You know? Absolutely. Can you think of uh, a good goal for a student uh, in their first year of training? Um, uh, one thing that I, I I tell a lot, the day that guy got blue belt, he quit jiu-jitsu. And yeah. I don't have the numbers, but it's very, very accurate. You know, they think they know enough to protect themselves and all that. So that's my my biggest fear is when I have a talent white belt and he turned blue belt and and you can see them stop coming or have a girlfriend and start doing stuff. My biggest quitting point is the first two months of the white belt and when they turn blue belt. And I can't I can't explain why. I think it's because they have enough knowledge uh, in in their mind and they end up quitting. Um, it's it's just tough because I have so many talented kids that I I knew they would be fantastic. Yeah. And and they and they settle for 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 nothing. I know it. It's, you cannot it, settle. You cannot settle for mediocrity. You have to settle for excellence. Yeah. I, I know. Um, it's heartbreaking for instructors to give a blue belt, and then you know in the next few months go by and that person kind of just drops off. It's like. It it's it hurts like it's disappointing. Like here you are giving this blue belt. This guy's got a lot of hope, or this girl, and 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 you're very proud of them. And then it's kind of the end of that chapter of their jujitsu. Like just come back yeah, to the school. You, you don't because I, I, I have these. Uh, I I'm just one, and I I love my students and I'm committed with my son. I don't know how I'm still married because <laughs> I spend more time with my gym, and I love my students so much. I don't know. Thank God my wife trains, because if she didn't train, I don't think I would be able to be married. Uh, and I dedicate my students my time. And some students tell me, "So you just teach jujitsu? Shame on you!" Because man, jujitsu takes more than twelve, thirteen hours of my life every day. It's not. <laughs> oh, you? They think it's like, oh, you just teach three hours every night? And I want to, I want to kill somebody when they say that you just do jujitsu. I say, shame on you. You know, so. Uh, when you when you see these guys that are they're gonna sign up and they, sometimes they tell say man you have a contract in your gym I say yes I do like most of the successful gyms they have an agreement um, and you can see most of one year agreement like everybody else so we can protect ourselves for during the summertime which is slow time of the year or after Thanksgiving and that's the business side of the of the sport yeah and. Uh, and I, I have people say, I don't want to sign a contract. I don't want to be 
I don't want to. I don't know if I'm going to be here for a year. So I don't want you here. And my wife get mad at me when I tell that to the customers. But uh, I want somebody that I, I, I'm not going to waste my time on. I'm just one guy, and I have a hundred guys in my gym. I should be spending my time in people that want to be better and want to be a black belt one day. Instead of a guy that's going to quit on me for three months or going to quit on me when he gets his first blue belt. So that's the way I see. When I see that a guy don't want to commit, even for like a year, pretty much I don't want to, even myself, I don't want to spend my time on that guy either. Because I have 99 other guys that, that it's like a little dog. They look at me, man, they say, please, please spend some time with me. And, uh, and I have guys that, that, that are wasting my time. You know, uh, the knowledge that we have and the time that we have is very limited. And uh, we need to spend and excel or make people excel, the people that really want and really deserve it. So they can change people's life in the future like we're doing right now. Yeah. So it's not about winning competitions or anything. I just want to make that person ready so that he can change the next people's lives. It, it's hard to tell why people quit after they get their blue belt. But why do you think most people start jujitsu? Oh man, that's a, that's an uh, uh, interesting question. I don't, I really don't know. Yeah. Uh, I have, um, I have an MMA program in my gym. It's very successful. But, uh, you know, with the UFC popularity and all that kind of stuff, I have a student that made UFC, he fought strike force and now he's fighting the Titans FC. Um, and these kind of guys bring a lot of people at my door. And they want to sign up for MMA, and they want the glory. They want the music and walk in the cage and show that they're tough and have the tap-out shirts and all that kind of stuff. But they stick with jiu-jitsu. You know, it's funny how they come to train, and they do their first month MMA, and slowly after the first month, they fall in love with jiu-jitsu and stay with jiu-jitsu. It's, no, it, MMA is not for everybody. Yeah. You know, get punched in the face is not fun. I tell them, I say, oh, I want to be an MMA fighter. No, you want to be a doctor. And they got to excuse me. I say, yeah. When your kid walk here in my gym <laughs> at 10, 12 years old, he say, man, I want to be an MMA fighter. No, you want to be a doctor, engineer. Yeah. You know, you, you can fight. <laughs> you can fight during college, but you're going to be an engineer, a doctor. So, you know, it, it's not a career for everybody. Everybody in jiu-jitsu is so good for your mind. It's like you're playing chess with your body. Yeah. You know, it's a human chess. You know, I, that's the beauty of the sport. It's endless. I can play with the same player several different games. The game's not going to be the same. And I have different other players that I can play, and the games never end. MMA, uh, with all the respect of the MMA guys, the listeners that you have, it's limited. You know, a jab, cross, hook, a kick combination, and all that kind of stuff. But there's so much you can do, uh, in my eyes. When you go to the grappling park, it's especially with the gi. You know, I compare gi and no gi to baseball and softball. If I play baseball, I can play softball anytime I want. But if I'm a softball player and no gi guy, when you go to gi, things change. So learn baseball and then go play softball if you want. But don't do the opposite. Oh, just do no gi. I just do no gi. Because once you put the gi on, things change. You, you can learn a much more complicated game and go play a user game, then they're opposite. So 
uh, I just don't know, to be honest with you, how people, why people sign for jiu-jitsu. Yeah. I don't even know how I, why I started, but uh, uh, thank God I did. I don't, you know, if you ask somebody the first day, is your goal going to become, is to be a blue belt? They would say no. I mean, maybe their goal is to be a black belt, and that's a little unrealistic for the first day of training. But nobody on the first day is is thinking about, like, I'm going to get a blue belt and then quit. But I think somewhere in the process, like maybe that first year, year and a half or so, they see it as a goal that they could attain, you know, getting that blue belt, and then and then mission accomplished. You know, I, I got it. And then I'm, you know, and then that's it. End of the road, because purple belt is a long ways away. And I'm really pretty good at jujitsu already. You know, it's just hard to get in the mind of somebody who who quits after blue belt. But it, like you're saying, it does happen all the time. No, it happened more than it happened with white belt. You know, yeah. it's happening with me more and more often. You know, people. I don't know if they because they signed the contract, they they feel obligated to do for the first year. Yeah, well, I don't know what the deal is, but they go through the first year. If they pass the first two months, they end up being a blue belt. It, yeah, it's very common. You know, the first eight weeks, they're very intimidated if you can pass through that. The good thing about being part of the big gym, too, is, you know, there's new people walking through the door all the time. So if you're from a smaller gym and you don't have a lot of people coming in, you're still going to be the small fish in the pond for a long, long time, and that's why you're going to end up quitting. When you're part of a big gym and have sign-ups every week, after two weeks, three weeks, you're not the smallest fish in the pond no more. And you can beat the, oh, I can do well against that new guy. Yeah. So that gives you an early confidence that makes you stick with it. And it, 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 and I, I found out that because I was small one time, and I, I'm a, a decent size, and I can make things happen much better when I, the guy's training for a month and he, he see the new guy walking in the door and say, man, today is my day. He can see the even the smile you know, how, how he can't see the, how effective jujitsu is against somebody that have no knowledge. And and that's when you see the passion coming, you know, from these guys. How how they start loving jujitsu is when they they put two and two together and things start and the guy might be stronger or smaller or I don't know, but you you see how effective it is. Yeah. You do kinda of need that, that proof, that that confidence that you get. Like like when I first started, there wasn't a lot of guys in my area, and and a couple of us were kind of you know started together, and the other guys were way ahead of us, and it took a long time to get that that new guy to walk in the door because because none of my moves worked on anybody, you know everybody was way yeah, exactly. better than me, and then when that new guy came in, it was like oh this stuff does work, you know it does build that confidence and that that you're doing the right thing, so yeah that that's yeah, kind of neat. I tell I tell my guys all the time too, like I say. Don't break your toys. Yeah. You know, I say, look, play with your toy, but don't break it, because if you hurt somebody, they're not going to be here for you tomorrow. And more toys, more fun, more times you can grapple. Yeah. If you start hurting people, because they have, they have, every gym has the, the meathead guy yep. that hurts everybody. Everybody hates him. And most likely, he's the one that stinks the most. <laughs> and dirty kids. We always have one one guy in the gym that the stinkest one that don't cut his nails <laughs> and that hurt people and he likes to do a heel hook when nobody does heel hook. You have always have one. And um and I keep telling him, look guys, don't break your toys, you know. Play hard. But don't break it because 
the more toys you have, the more fun it is. Yeah. It's fun to find a, a class with like 30, 30 plus guys. You know, you can grapple. Yeah, today I want to try, you know, if I had the guys with short legs, well, I, I want to try triangles today. I don't know how you train, but I train like this. I, I decide what I'm going to train that week. Yeah. Because I, did, I didn't have a lot of competition at first when I moved to Louisiana, so I had to find goals for me. Nowadays, I have some tough purple belts, a lot of brown belts, and, and a, uh, a few black belts. So they push me. But in the beginning, I need to fail. Today, I'm going to try to do a triangle with everybody. Or they have that guy that nobody sweeps. And I say, man, today I'm going to sweep that guy. And I'm going to pass the other guy to have a great guard. And I want to submit the guy that nobody, nobody taps. Yeah. So you try to find goals in specific targets. Or a general goal like, oh, today I'm going to sweep everybody. Or today I'm going to escape from side control. And I have one white belt that told me, Professor, I passed your guard three times today. And I want to kind of slap him around sometimes. <laughs> you know, because, you know, the guy's a white belt, and he passed my guard three times. What's the chance? You know, that <laughs> week I was training in side control defense. Yeah. So, so I like you set goals like that. So even if when you don't have a guy to challenge you, in a grappling match, you can make interest by setting goals. Well, let me let this guy take my back and let me see if I can escape. Because if you tell a black belt to take your back and you try to escape, you're not going to escape. But if you do with a blue belt and a purple belt, that gives you the chance for you to think sometimes a little bit longer and to apply several different techniques and, and make it better. If you just try on the best guy in class, sometimes you're not going to be able to do it. You yeah. know, today I train geese. You know, I've come back, I have, like, a little injury. So I'm coming back for the last month. And I'm working with some lapels chokes. And I, I call all the white belts and blue belts, and I just did lapel chokes with them. Was was different. I could call the brown belts and the purple belts, but I decided to to start from the bottom and get proficient and get used to and get the motion right. And then uh, in the future, I'm probably going to try the purple belts and brown belts. Yeah. So... Uh, I think that's uh, a lot of people say, well, I don't have higher belts in my gym. I don't have, I'm the best one in my gym. Set up goals for you guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, tell them, look, I want to sweep everybody with a flower sweep. Oh, I'm going to try to the deep half bar on everybody. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give my back to everybody and I'm going to escape. You know, these ways you can be, start to be good in some positions, they're going to add up in your overall game. Yeah. By limiting yourself, you're able to, to really hone in on the area, even if the guys are not quite as skilled overall as you, you're able to get still continue to get better. I like what you said going back there about not breaking your toys when we're talking about like the the new guys, you know, rolling with the really new guys. And it is important to remember that you know that's their like their first day or their first week in class. Like that's hard for them too. You know, like they don't want to tap. They they yeah. they hard headed. Yeah. You know, and I say, look, if you tap, I don't want you to tap for nothing. Yeah. But if you have your arms extended and you're not defending, why are you going to hold the position until the guy raise their hips? Tap. Yeah. Tomorrow you're going to be here and learn. But if you be stubborn and you hurt yourself in three weeks, and then you're going to be here in three weeks. Because, uh, you know, for me, I'm a more experienced guy. When you do an arm bar on me, even when my arm is extended, I'm trying to rotate my body or my shoulder or my elbow to try to escape. 
but once you just straighten your arm and you you just holding for toughness, it's dumb. It's just, <laughs> I don't understand why people do that kind of yeah. stuff. You know, and and the other thing that we we're, we're talking about is is uh, being the higher belt. You get a white belt on the arm, and you straighten his arm, and you know the guy's not defending. Just let it go and transition for something else. But they want to prove a point. The white belt is stubborn. And the, the, the consequences, the guy hurt with a guy quitting jiu-jitsu for nothing. So I have a lot, a lot of conversation with my higher belts about this. Yeah. You, you're going to hurt your feeling if you don't tap a white belt? Let it go. Yeah. Something else. Go for the stomach and then go for the mouth and then go back and, you know, let it go. You know you had it. I do this all the time when I train with people. I show that I had it and I let it go and I go for something else because I hate to reset. You stop, fix your gear, tie a bell, talk, shake hands again, and throw. I don't. You know, I go for the choke. I know I had it, and I transition for the arm bar, and then I, I go for something else, and I let him pass my guard. I want to flow as much as I can. I don't want to stop a roll in the middle. You know, for some key players, it's good. You know, but for most of the guys, I like to flow. And you know, and he knows who won, who tapped. Just keep going. You know, if you if you keep proving the point, that's when people getting hurt. Just let it go. Yeah. But you have to be humble, and that's the skill that not a lot of people have. Yeah. Uh, you have to understand that. See, look, when you train, like I said, I, I was training. I white belt past my guard. Everybody was looking. My wife was in the table. My kids were looking, and then you say, "Man, everybody think I suck." <laughs> no, of course not. No. Of course not. They. But, you know, for some people that just look in the train, you say, man, they gossip. They talk behind our backs and all this. Oh, you see what the guy did with Rakiel? You see the guy did with the other guy? You know, you just have to let it go and focus on your personal growth. If you don't, you're not humble enough to let people do positions on you, that's what we call training. Yeah. Because you have to train yourself. Uh, you're not going to be a good fighter. People want to do your best position every day. I have a guy in my gym that he's very good in one position only. And every day he pulls guard and he tries to do a triangle. But if you don't get a triangle new, he sucks overall. He don't know how to pass. He don't know how to submit nobody but the triangle. But he has a pretty good triangle. So you look at the guy. Man, the guy is very good at in one thing. I prefer to be average in everything than be good in just one specific thing. So you have to be, I tell them to look, try something else. Oh, but that's my go-to move. You you still can have it. But try to go for the triangle on bar or on the plot after there. You know, yeah. try to add, add, add positions or, or in your game instead of doing the same. Oh, but he feels great. He leaves your home. Oh, I tap everybody. But you're going to see when he gets purple bell and maybe when he reaches brown bell, he's going to be a mediocre fighter. Because he never has, never experienced anything outside his comfort zone, and that's that's the beauty. If you, if you experience discomfort and put yourself in unprivileged position, that's what you learn. That's when you get better. Training is for you to expose yourself and try new things. Competition, competition. Put your A game. Go there and do what you best. But for training. Be humble. Expose yourself. Get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, and, and like we were saying earlier about like the double guard pull, 
if all if your game is 100% guard and tr- and then 100% triangle, if somebody pulls guard on you, what what are you gonna do? Like exactly. that doesn't leave you anywhere. It is good to have some techniques that you're really good at, but you need to have some something from each position that you could work on for sure. Just, just to give you an example, I was very good in lasso guard, like I told in the beginning. Yeah. I was a little guy, and then I become heavy and all that, and then lasso guard is not good for me. Imagine if all my game was just that, how I would be able to be a good passer right now or a good judo uh, takedown if if I just focus on the lasso guard. You know, you have to open. There's so much stuff out there. And I go through cycles. It's funny. You know, I do one year just lost a guard. Now, last year I was doing a lot of half guard. And the last two weeks I've been working lapel, closed guard, lapels. So I'm, I'm trying to adapt new things. Because like you said, sometimes you, you face a guy that your game doesn't match. And you fall in an awkward position or something that you're not comfortable. But you have to make yourself comfortable. Or you're going to lose the fight. You know, uh, sucks sometimes. Yeah. You have some guys, some strategies that doesn't match. And you have to go through. What you going to do? Just wait for the time to go up? Or you're going to try new things? Or you're going to expose yourself? Competition is like that, too. Like we're talking. Uh, if you lose the fight, it's hard, man. It's very hard. That's why I like to take down games. Because... Most of the time, if I get the two points of the big down, I'll win my fight. Because I play counter. It's much better for you to be a sniper. And every time he moves, he put his head up, I, I hit him in the head. Like, pow. I shoot him in the head. Pow. I'm counter all the time. Instead of how to pass that guard. I fell on top. I have two points ahead. Guess what? You, you're going for a long, long, long day. <laughs> yeah. It sucks, but it, it is the reality. Yeah. You know, but if I go to your guard... And zero zero, I can't stall. The ref is gonna tell me to move. I have to expose myself. He has to expose himself. Things are different. Once you have an advantage in a point, you can play counter. You play counter is the best thing you can do in your life. Because every time he exposes himself, you counter, you counter, you counter, and counter. And he has to play forward. You know, and that's the beauty. Once you play counter, he has to expose. He loses. And the referee is going to tell him, so look, you better move. You need to move. And you just counter. You don't have to. The initiative is always hard. When you have to do the move yourself, you, you, you cannot go forward or try a point without exposing yourself. It's, it's that give and take. You have to give something to take something. And in the end of the story, who does less mistakes? Yeah. Especially at the back bell level. Yeah. Hey, it's amazing. That's I fought it. that Eduardo Tellis guy. Yeah. The turtle, turtle guard yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it, it's rough, man. <laughs> you, can't, you can't understand that guy's guard. He's turtle and upside down, and he's flexible, and he sits, and he, he makes fun. He wiggles his feet. He, he's, he's weird. <laughs> you know, I, I never fought nobody like him in yeah. my life. I fought tougher guys, but you understand that very unique game. Yeah. I had a I had a strategy and the strategy worked for four and a half minutes and then I got greedy. I went to for the clock choke. I'm very good in clock choke. And I paid the highest price. He he ended up submitting me in the arm. But it is it's hard. There's, there's few players in the in the in Jiu Jitsu that have yeah. that unique game. And Eduardo Tennis won, Harsha Grace is another one. 
If you're 100 full guard on you, he's going to sweep you. There's no way. He's so long that he grabs your knees and he does the bump sweep and he sweeps everybody. He, he chokes you from the mouth. Everybody knows. Yep. And you go there, he's going to shake his hand and say, oh, I'm not going to let him do that. Uh, same stuff. I had a conversation <laughs> with Andre Galvão yeah. one time and he said, oh, I'm going to fight uh, Marcelo Garcia. And this time, he's not going to arm drag me. I said, yeah, right. <laughs> Took his hand, Marcelo arm dragged him again. <laughs> it, some guys, you can't stop. You can't stop Marcelo Garcia arm drag. It's impossible. You know? So go to the fight. You know you're going to be losing for 2-0. Quit. And after that, I tried to do something else. But uh, some guys are very phenomenal on, on the, what they do. You know, they're very unique. So and that's, that's the kind of stuff that I miss about jiu-jitsu, you know. The Andre Galvans, the Marcelo Garcia, the the Comprido, the Salo Ribeiro, Sean yeah. Ribeiro, you know these guys. The, the, I don't know if you've met, uh, have you ever heard about him, the Tinnity? Yeah, Fernando Tinnity. Oh, that guy. He used to dance and break dance in the mats and and shake, and he has a phenomenal guard, man. He was. He used to paint his hair. Uh, you know. That thing brings joy and fun to jiu-jitsu. They used to have a cheerleader for him. People with the drums and trumpets, and they played music for him. It was that's cool. It was different. Yeah, he he was he was special, and he he danced. He slapped himself in the middle of the fight. He he had a, a nice fight between him and Verdun at the world. Yeah, I think it's all over YouTube. It's fun to watch the guy. It just brings joy to jiu-jitsu. You know, something yeah. like that is just unbelievable. If somebody wants to get a hold of you um, to just contact you or to train, how would they do that? Uh, you can go to graceunited.com. Uh, they have the location, schedule, and email and, and contact information on all my gyms. Oh, I can hit me on Facebook. Uh, I had everybody. And I talk to everybody. I have people from my team and people from different teams that contact me all the time and asking positions, advice, or, you know, what they think. They share a lot of YouTube videos with me and say, what do you think about this position? And and sometimes they take themselves. You know, they record themselves doing a position and ask me uh, how they're doing and what, what they should be doing next. And I Google a little bit. I try to find other positions in YouTube. And, and send back to them. So I, I'm very accessible uh, by Facebook and you know, email. Cool. Like I said, I'm a, I was a computer guy, so I, <laughs> I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good on the computers. Uh, uh, my wife's actually going to buy a, a perfume that smells like cell phone and computers. Yeah. So I can be closer to her. Because <laughs> I love my phone and my computer. I stay with my computer and my phone more than I stay with my wife. So she's looking for a smell that smells like computers. Oh. Why didn't she uh, she go yeah. for like a sweaty yeast mail? Yeah, exactly. That would not. That probably wouldn't be so good. Yeah, she is. Uh, I, I'm I'm very very happy to have uh, a wife that's supportive and yeah. and she's gonna be finding the world in in the end of the month. So cool. I'm excited. I'm excited. We'll keep an eye out for that. That'll be neat, and uh, hopefully you'll post something about that on Facebook so we can all. Yeah, I hope I hope we get a husband and wife word champion. That would be that, that would be awesome. Be yeah. Well, cool. I'll put links to your website and your Facebook page on the on the uh, notes on the podcast, so everybody can find it easily. Well, I appreciate you uh, giving us the interview. It's been been a lot of fun and uh, learned quite a bit. Thank you. Yeah, 
Thank you so much. Have a nice day. You too. Well, that was the interview with Raphael Elfanger. Thanks again for, for doing that. I thought it was really interesting um, hearing him talk about his family and how how everyone was very successful and had, you know, real fancy professional jobs. And then his dad, you know, you, you're going to roll around with sweaty guys for a job. You know, that's not what we're going to, that's not what you're going to do. And, you know, he followed his dream and he, and he, and he stuck with it. And he, in the long run, you know, his dad has seen that he's successful at this and his dad's talked to some of the students and, and heard what he is to them. And, and, and so it's, and you know, he's won some pretty big tournaments. So they see that what he's done and it was the right thing for him and he enjoys it, which is a big part of, big part of life. Yeah. How would you like to, uh, enjoy your job that much? And, uh, you know, he's very yeah. successful and, uh, that's what he enjoys. Yeah. At the same, at the same time though, you can't get mad at, at your family for trying to get you to do what they think is right for you. Like, you know, like if I want to, if I want to go play NFL and my family's trying to discourage me, well, they're probably trying to save me because I'm not going to. But a lot of times though, that makes you even work harder. Yeah. You know, you just want to prove somebody wrong. How many times has somebody told you, you know, you can't do this and you're like, man, I'm going to prove them wrong. (laughs) Yeah. So it could be a motivating factor, but, um, I think that to not not get mad at them personally because yeah. I think their heart's in the right place. They're trying yeah. to help you, yep. but you know, stick stick to you know. You got to listen to what you want to do and 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 go for that. You can't be. Why would you want to be a miserable doctor? Yeah, could have been happy. Whatever. Yeah, and that's the key. You said do chase what you want to do. You know, everybody. Well, hopefully, most a lot of people know what they want to do and and chase what uh chase what your dream is. Yeah, chase your dream. That was neat. Um, and, you know, great interview overall, but that, that kind of stood out to me about, you know, a decision he had to make in his life and, and how he decided to do that. Gary. Um, Byron's uh, looking at me and kind of laughing a little bit, so I know I'm probably going to be the butt of a joke here. No, I just can't figure out how to introduce the segment, but uh, okay. we'll let the music play a little bit here. This is our sad, uh, sad music here. Oh, our sad music. Gary. It's is uh every week, man. Every week we, we we try to get a funny review to read and, and to bring on the show and share with everybody. Yeah, and it, it just hasn't been happening. I mean, it's it's kind of sad. It is sad, you know. We, nothing nothing makes us more happy when we get something that's that's funny written by one of the listeners, and and you know they make fun of us. They yeah. do sometimes. It, it's good to make fun of us yeah. sometimes. One guy thought that we were a podcast about brick making. Yeah, and another guy talked about, you know, the, the brick and microphone choke. Yeah. And one review talked about us as man dancers, dancing with other sweaty men, and interviewing even more sweaty men. But that, but you know, it's sad. But they're hard on us, and that's yeah. good for us to, to to have jokes about us. Another person said we sounded like a guy on Family Guy. <laughs> so how could they help us, Gary? You know, just less than ten minutes out of their life. One time. One time. And you know what they're going to get in return for that? They're going to get a patch mailed to them, a BJJ brick patch. That they can wear on their gi. 
Yeah, or sew it to a t-shirt. We don't care. Yeah, or just carry it. <laughs> Put it in your wallet, and if somebody asks for your ID, they'll see it and they'll know how cool you are. Yeah, I mean, sew it to your forehead. But we're just... Help this little podcast here. We like our funny reviews. We do like any five-star review, obviously. But but take the time. Take, take the heart. Yeah, like we said, just less than ten minutes of your life. And make fun of us. Yeah. Make make it funny. Yeah. We'll read it online. Yeah. And, I mean, we take these to heart. Like, we can't figure out which one of us sounds like the guy in Family Guy, but we've been trying not to sound like him. <laughs> Giggity. Yeah. Giggity, Gary. So please, just please take less than 10 minutes and give us a review. And make fun of us. And in return, we will send you out the patch. But after you send that, make that review, copy it, paste it to bgjbrick at gmail.com and let us know that you made the review and then uh, we'll be able to send it to the right person. Because we want to make sure our product gets in the hands of the right person. Yeah, we don't want any of the uh, non-reviewers, the ones that don't tease us, to be to be aware. Yeah, not everybody can get teased, but we want to be. Yes. So, please, please, we beg you. So that is how to get a geek patch. Remember to write the funny review. Uh, send us an email, bgjbrick at gmail.com. Send us an email for anything, you know, whether a comment, question. Uh, if you have a quote we want us to cover, an article, email us, and we'll be happy to, to get in contact with you and, and try to do that for the show. Um, we also have a email list if you want to receive um, the podcast in your email, not like we're not going to send you the entire audio file in your email. It'll be a link to the audio file, but we'll send you a weekly reminder uh, about what the about what the podcast is about. That's some good grammar there about what the podcast yeah. is about. Yeah, and I mean our email list is really blowing up. Byron says we're over five now. Yes. <laughs> so we're not trying to spam anybody doing anything crazy. No. Basically, I have it set up to where it'll send out an email every I think it's Tuesday, uh, and just say, "Hey, this is what the podcast is about." If you haven't check it out yet. Because you don't want to miss it. Yeah. Why would you want to miss it? Um, so that's one way to stay up with us. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter. Join us next week. We've got another great show, hopefully on a Monday. We've done it 52 times in a row, so why not mess up on the 53? If you're in the Wichita area, what should they do, Gary? You should send us an email if you're going to be in the Wichita area, and that way we can train together. We'd love to train with you. Absolutely. So we'll catch you guys next week. It's been fun. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Here is another segment of Unnecessary Censorship. Um, Gary, full year like we're saying. That's a lot of that's out there. We put out it every Monday and so we... Up to 52. That that itself has surprised me that we've managed to land one, I think, every Monday. Every Monday. Not just every week, but I've managed to get it out every Monday. And actually, every, I can't take any credit for that because Byron's the one who well, does it all. Well, but, but all the time, Gary's over here on a Sunday, you know, afternoon or night or, you know, Saturday, you know, we're getting it done. Like Byron, you do all the work. I do the thing, but it does, it, it's a team. Yeah. <clears throat>